Support for the following podcast comes from Hope Made Strong's training, Trauma-Informed Care for the Faith Community. This training is for church leaders that introduces how to build a safe, healthy, and trauma-informed church community. For just $5, join the training, download the toolkit, and have access to the resource library, offering dozens of books, online resources, and media links. The live training is on February 24th, 2022, but the replay and resources will remain accessible. Go to hopemadestrong.org slash trauma-informed for more information. Traffickers are literally luring girls who are very vulnerable in the foster care system to be trafficked. So the whole point about BRAVE is if traffickers uh, could be intentional (laughs) with these girls, how much more can we, can the body of Christ, can the church be intentional and really come alongside before that happens? From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip you and your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are going to be talking all about human trafficking with Priscilla Santos and how your local church has an opportunity to be part of the solution while building partnerships and community for some of the most at-risk individuals in your community. I have worked and lived in a small community for most of my life. I live in a small town of around 35,000 people surrounded by farms and agriculture. There are over 30 churches within the city limits and dozens more in the surrounding area. And just about everyone references our town in relation to the next bigger city 30 minutes down the road. They say, oh yeah, I drive by there all the time. (laughs) The people in my community have rural roots where there is often a grocery store traffic jam because people are chatting in the aisles and coffee shops are at capacity every morning at 10 a.m. with seniors and retirees catching up. I'm not going to lie, it's a classic rural small city in every way, and yet we have a problem with trafficking. Most people don't see it, and to be honest, I didn't at first. A few summers ago, there was a big police bust of a trafficking ring in a nearby city, and the conversation with people was, phew, I'm glad I live in a small town. They were shocked when I told them that we have a trafficking problem in our town too, and shared a story of one of my clients, a survivor of attempted trafficking. A young woman, a refugee to Canada just 10 years ago, was lured by a man with the promise of paid work, but instead was taken to a local motel where she was kept without her consent in a guarded room. Thankfully, she was able to escape the situation before she was harmed, but not before she was drugged, threatened, and she was terrified of what could have happened to her. Her story is similar to so many others. Trafficking is not just an issue for larger city centers or airports or border towns. Trafficking is likely in every community across North America. I regularly speak with churches about their care ministries, and a common vision that I hear is a desire to reach the unchurched, to become a safe place for those who are hurting and that, so that they can find community and the hope of Christ. 
And today, I want to share with you an opportunity to connect and serve some of the most at-risk people within your community, those who are targeted by human traffickers and abusers. Brave Global is an international organization with the heart for your community. They discovered that 70 to 80% of trafficking victims were local young girls, and 60% of them were currently or have been a part of the foster care system. They were lured and exploited. The thought and passion behind Brave is that if traffickers can target this population, so can the local church. Brave Global was founded, and now they offer resources, training, and customized support for your local church to become advocates and partners in empowering young women who are part of the foster care system, preventing these women from ever being trafficked in the first place. Priscilla Santos is a Brave Advisory Board member and social justice liaison. Her work around human trafficking preventions extends beyond Brave, as she is the International Modern Slavery and Human Trafficking Response Coordinator, and she works at the Salvation Army in the International Social Justice Commission Department. Needless to say, Priscilla is passionate about preventing and ending modern slavery and human trafficking. Priscilla is Cuban-American and grew up in Miami in a family who loves Jesus. Her father was a pastor, and so she spent several nights a week as a child in church. Priscilla pursued journalism and photography as a way to share the stories of others. How after only a few short years, she found that capturing and telling people stories was not as powerful as helping people change the storyline of their life. Priscilla shifted her focus from journalism and pursued further training and a career in intercultural development and trafficking. Priscilla shared with me that even though she grew up in church, her personal relationship with Christ was developed in college when she connected to a church that became the community that led her in discipleship. However, that was not her first experience of community and the power of connecting with people. And actually, I know that I say that I was probably discipled and it became real for me when I was in college. But just in this conversation, I'm remembering my abuelo, like my grandfather, who he is probably the most like God loving and people loving person like in my life and like such a mentor and example for me. And he is like he came here from Cuba to the U.S., uh, with like $4, like very, very hardworking. And then I remember just spending time with him and he didn't, he didn't really have a lot of money. He didn't have a car. He would walk everywhere through the bus and I would join him. And he would see somebody on the street who maybe didn't, was unhoused or homeless. And he would just go up to them and hug him. And then he would ask me to do the same thing. And I remember I would just look in, into my grandfather's eyes And it's the weirdest thing. I would just like, I would feel and like see God like through him. And those were like very beautiful, meaningful and deep, impactful moments that have really, and and they all happened together in relationship with my abuelo, but then also together with, with like people on the margins at the same time, you know, it's like, so, so then like in, in college, I just had so many of those experiences as well. So I feel it's the way that God really teaches me lessons, the way that I feel him, the way that I feel loved is just through relationships and through others. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in college that you also um, continued on with the connection of people who maybe are more marginalized. 
um, was that through a program or um, your through your studies of journalism and or and you know writing or how did you make those connections? Yeah, it, it it really did happen through my church. They did have a lot of discipleship programs, and one of them was being very intentional with some mixed income neighborhoods that were surrounding uh, my church at the time. And um, a lot of people lived in those neighborhoods from the church just to kind of build that connection. I did a summer intensive program, which really just placed us within the neighborhoods like every day, essentially, just building relationships and getting to know them. Um, And I think that is, is, I think there's something about proximity, right? Like just being close, being in relationship, and to truly understanding um, people. So those times where I was able to really understand, get to know, and be close to maybe people that are so different than me, have different experiences, like people that are are more on the margins of our communities. Um, That has just, I feel like carved out why I do what I do. So I did a lot of, we called it like incarnational ministry. So we did a lot of incarnational ministry and we would, I would be in apartment complexes where I would hear these stories from like single moms where now I know that it's trafficking, but before I didn't have the understanding or the lens to think about that. So I would hear these stories about these moms saying, oh, I'm like working like two or three jobs just to make end meet. And then I see that they're sending their daughters to a different apartment complex, um, like to these, where these, these men are, right? And then, so looking back at that and then knowing what I know now, I know that some sort of level of like exploitation was like happening at that point. Yeah, so that's kind of where where it began for me. Um, Yeah, through those like incarnational, very close proximity experiences. Mm, That's pretty cool because so many people when they're in college aren't looking outwardly. They're looking inwardly in their social needs and their educational needs and (laughs) their needs for, you know, connection and you know, networking and all the things that people do in college, they are really focused on themselves where you, um, I don't know if it was from your experience with your abuela or the church, but you were drawn to people um, and looking at the needs outwardly. Yeah. It, it was- Did that influence your journalism work? You you graduated from journal um, from uni- from college and worked in journalism. Did that influence your your journalism work? Yeah, absolutely. There was a time where I would do a lot of international journalism with um, like emergency disasters. So I would go overseas and try to like capture those stories. But then, um, so I remember I went to Haiti after one of the earthquakes just to kind of. Um, I went as a photojournalist for for this magazine and something just also didn't sit right with me, like um, in terms of ethics, like going somewhere else, like taking pictures of these people in a very like vulnerable situation. Um, 
making money off of it. You know, I was getting paid for that. So I started to ask all these like really internal, like ethical questions. Um, and then, and then I also worked as a journalist for our university's like healthcare system. So I would, and I, I realized one day that I actually wanted to, to like be on the other side. I didn't only want to be like documenting it, but I actually wanted to serve. So I had a completely uh, different like career change. I decided. So after my experience in incarnational ministry and like more of like the mixed income neighborhoods, um, I realized that I needed more training. <laughs> like based on these conversations that I was having with these moms with my who are now my friends I'm like you know what I don't have the skill set I don't have the tools um to be able to really properly like support help come alongside even and I knew that I wanted more training and more education. So after that is when I launched and I decided to go to Fuller Theological Seminary to get my master's in intercultural studies uh, with a specialization in more like urban development and doing my research on trafficking. And at there, I understood maybe I would go overseas to do this work. Like I, I was always kind of um, more geared towards global missions and global work. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, I should probably really figure out how to do this well in the community that I know of, that I'm familiar with, that I speak the language. That's my community that I know before trying to go somewhere else um and do this work so I just completely shifted gears and focused all my studies on domestic uh trafficking and how it works I was then that's when I arrived in Los Angeles so in Los Angeles and in the surrounding areas that's a huge shift that's a massive shift you know all people focused I could see the the connection between journalism you know, seeing the impoverished and like feeling almost like you're exploiting them and then wanting to actually be a part of it and do something and be a part of a solution rather than just reporting about it. But you really, you really invested your life into this. So tell me what, um, what, what is the next steps for you? Like, what did you do? Did you, uh, did you have a placement or where did you go from, from your studies? Yeah. So I, I, when I was in grad school, I had a couple of key opportunities um, that I feel were really, that really shaped like the rest of my career trajectory. But um, the first one was that I had uh, kind of like an informal internship with an organization in downtown Los Angeles um, who did awareness and prevention work connected with like local agencies around Los Angeles. So that really gave me like um, contextual understanding of my new city, of the community, of what other agencies and services mm -hmm. are available. Um, then I also had another placement uh, at a homeless shelter. So kind of like really di like different. But mm -hmm. one of the really great things about that placement was that for an entire week, I, I was a, 
part of that community. So I actually slept like in the homeless shelter and really got a feel for what it would be like to be somebody who is unhoused, who didn't have a good night's sleep, who had to wake up at four in the morning to try to go to the bank after an hour and a half bus ride, you know, like just really giving me a lot of like empathy and a lens of, of how to really serve this community. So that was also really special and a really great placement. And then I had a, a, my last placement was with World Vision International um, as an intern with them in their global collaboration and innovation. And that just kind of gave me more of a global understanding of how global organizations work and function um, and how to be innovated kind of within that bureaucratical large system and space. So I feel like it, there's been a variety of, mm-hmm. of like placements within grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, and then I landed my first kind of anti-trafficking role because I was, I was getting ready to graduate and I was just Googling what organizations were doing what. And I found out that the Salvation Army, which I was familiar with, had a really strong program nearby. And I messaged the the previous director. I was like, I love her. She's like a dear friend and still a mentor for me. I was like, hey, I am I'm me. This is what I'm focused on. Can we get together for coffee? And then we set up a coffee date and we talked for like five hours. <laughs> So then as soon as there was like a a job opened, Mm -hmm. she contacted me and she was just like, we would love to kind of have you. And that was probably the best and most formative, like three years of my life was I, I was a case manager doing case management with foreign national survivors of trafficking So it was people from all around the world that were trafficked in the United States. And then it was helping them access holistic services. Mm -hmm. And that just changed my entire world, like that experience. Being that it was with Salvation Army, were you linked in with the Salvation Army Church or was it um, community-based? Was was there a faith element involved at all, I guess? Because sometimes that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was beautiful that I knew the Salvation Army was a church mm-hmm. and that they also have such a strong social services like kind of arm to the organization. And I think I'm such a person that I like to be so integrated. Like I think I always long just to maybe it's my sevenness, but I long <laughs> to just kind of like combine like pieces of my life and like my identities together. So I love that it was an organization that I could that I could serve like and also like bring my faith into mm-hmm. it as well. And they and the Salvation Army does it in such a great way where it's not mandated, but it's really like showcasing the love of Jesus and how Jesus will kind of treat treat them. But we served people from all different, of course, like working with people internationally, you serve people from with different religions, um, different identities. Um, different understanding of community and the world. And, and I also just learned so much through that. Absolutely. So tell me where, and you said you were, you said you, you worked there for three years 
And what is, you know, looking back to that, what is something that stood out for you that you may, that was surprising or something that you wouldn't expect that you learned? I mean, uh, I think one of the things, I guess, what comes to mind right now is, I guess, two things. One of them is the resiliency of people mm. that I just, I, I, I can't, like the, the stories that they carry and all like the barriers that our systems and that our society kind of places mm-hmm. to overcome these but then like just the resiliency of of people is just so beautiful mm-hmm. and um just really just changed my life and then i think the other really big paradigm shift that i had was just around immigration like i we worked with a lot of survivors primarily who are undocumented and then we would walk alongside of them um to getting their documentations and just seeing just like the 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 systems that are in place or the lack of systems that are in place and like the continued barriers and just um yeah the immigration piece was just so so life-changing for me to learn about Mm -hmm. and I can't imagine yeah it's something that I feel really passionate about and just because you're born in another country, which you have no real option of, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that kind of that kind of just di- dictates so much of your, um, like, so much of your life and so much of your ability to be free, really. Which that was what we were working on with these, with survivors of trafficking. The whole point is getting them free out of trafficking and then being able to actually live and walk in that freedom. Right. And so getting that, like having them step out of their trafficking situation is just the first phase. And then it's like helping them navigate through all of these like systems that are, that doesn't seem like they're really for them. Right. Um, yeah. And one of those beautiful strategies that we found out along the way and that I found out the way is, is brave is how, how actually the church could, could work alongside girls to actually be the solution um, and prevent trafficking from happening. Yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah, let's talk more about that, about Brave. So, you know, when this episode is airing, it is... uh, it's a, a trafficking awareness month. Um, and, but this isn't, you know, we, this work continues on and has continued on for, 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 you know, decades and decades. Um, and the amazing work that you're doing now with Brave is definitely something I wanted to highlight. Uh, can you tell us about Brave and what it, what it, what it is? Yeah, Brave is an organization that it's it's a strategic global it's a global strategy for churches to prevent trafficking and to walk alongside girls who might be vulnerable, right? So it's it's a way to help empower them um, in order for them to not to fall into that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So human trafficking and the like I'll speak at least to the US, right? What we're seeing is that the majority are women and girls, over 70% are women and girls, and about over 60% of those minors are coming out of the foster care system. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like these vulnerabilities after vulnerabilities. And so what that means is that girls are literally luring girls who are very vulnerable in the foster care system to be trafficked. So the whole point about Brave is if traffickers uh, could be intentional <laughs> with these girls, how much more can we, can the body of Christ, can the church be intentional and really come alongside before that happens. So it's this invite. So brave is this invitation uh, for the church to really build relationship with girls who are vulnerable, who girls on the margins, and um, and tell them that actually they are the solution. Oftentimes we think that maybe the church is the solution, or that maybe the girls are the ones putting themselves in that in that um situation but actually like though what we're what we're realizing is that girls like they are the solution they know the best solutions to not be vulnerable and brave really comes alongside them for that i love that so often um when uh i'm talking with people this idea of helping people with human trafficking, that seems like an issue that is way too large for the local church to be. Um, that is a international issue. That is something with immigration. That is, you know, we don't live near an airport. Like this isn't something that would impact our local church. But what you're saying is that um, communities everywhere have kids who are in the foster system. And so even the local church in these small communities can have a huge impact on on prevention and ending human trafficking. Yeah. And I think it's also important to say that no matter where you live in the U.S., more than likely there's trafficking happening in your community, despite whether you live near an international airport, whether you live in the big metropolitan area, um, we have seen survivors from small towns, small cities, you know, just like anywhere really um, through the US. And absolutely, like there, it, it could be a very overwhelming problem, but one thing to realize is that it doesn't have a place in like God's plan for humanity. Right. So as a church, how beautiful that local churches could really come alongside, walk alongside girls um, to be a part of this, this solution of, of helping girls be free and be empowered to kind of walk in that freedom to feel that. Literally changing lives. So how does brave equip the local church where where how can what what resources or tools do they offer yeah so brave right now works with churches in all different parts of the world so one of the really great things is that it could be very contextual to your community so whether you're a church in russia (laughs) or whether you're a church in montana um the way that it's set up is that we have brave uh a brave coach So if you reach out to Brave Global and you show interest, then we would automatically connect you with a Brave coach who would hear more about your desires, hear more about your communities, maybe even ask for you to do some sort of analysis of what's going on in your community when it comes to uh, vulnerability and girls and the foster care system, and then really walk you along the process. It's not about just providing you 
we do have tools and we do have the resources, but it's also about providing you that relationship that can really walk alongside of you to make sure that it's a success. So if a church is wanting to integrate some of this education and awareness and training into, say, their family programs or um, student programs, does does the does Brave allow kind of a customized approach or is it a curriculum where you you have to go through, not have to go through, but there is um, a certain amount of investment or training that needs to be involved. Can can a church reach out and say, you know, this is something that we want to help prevent, but we want to start with um, the, our small group. Is that possible? Yeah, there's different, I would say there's different expressions of Brave Global that churches could tap into. And that all kind of happens when you're like having that one-on-one conversation with the Brave coach to help you kind of understand what uh, what your community might need um, or what, what might hear those needs are for you. But um, a lot of the ways that it's expressed in different church is that oftentimes um, churches would begin a relationship with the foster care system, um, even create an event where they are inviting these girls into the church. Um, and it's not an evangelical, let's get you saved event. It's really like an event to help celebrate them, to help empower them, to tell them that they are strong, that they are they are not alone. And then oftentimes there are ways to help bring awareness through those events, but it really is a celebration and help really builds this relationship between the church and the foster care system and these um, girls at the same time. So we've also developed um, brave journals. So the first one, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's three of them right now and you can check them out on our website, but there's these brave journals that really help to bring education and tools that are directed for the girls as well. Um, so it's a, it could be expressed in a lot of different ways. That's really cool. A lot of what we talk about is about building community and engaging um, and creating safe spaces where people can belong and find their purpose and be offered hope. And And what you're talking about is inviting um, a foster system to build that relationship and community with the church. And it, like you said, it's not about evangelical, but it's about being a place where you're celebrated and you can find purpose and offer hope in a way that is uh, that is building belonging and and um, that's really exciting. It's exciting because it gives churches the framework and, and the pathway on how to do that and the tools to be able to do it without um, without having to like create the you know, create recreate the wheel or whatever that whatever that phrase is. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so much of our ministry could be so internally focused. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Um, like we focus so much on the people that are already in the church. And then I feel like God gives us this really beautiful invitation to look outward, right? To look at who are the people on the margins in your community. And for Brave Global, it really is the girls that are vulnerable, right? So it's, so this is an invitation for churches to look beyond their like four walls, to look beyond their borders and say, who else can my church serve and how to kind of bring them in in a way that's loving, that's, that's, that's inclusive. And um, 
it doesn't have to be overwhelming. I, I have a really close friend who's also on the board of Brave and she's a Brave coach and she wrote one of the Brave journals and uh, she's a foster care grad herself. And um, she also says, what a great way to just like start a relationship with the foster care system is, you know what? Go buy them a box of donuts and take them to the office, right? Mm-hmm. And just say, you know what? Thank you for everything that you're doing for this community. Um so just imagine, right? Like such a simple step could be, um, could be so meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. So often churches talk about reaching the unreached and connecting with people who are on the margins and, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be really simple, um, but powerful um, things like, like you said, that box of donuts or, in, or, or, opening your space for them to use for for meetings and trainings and events and and there's lots of opportunity for collaboration and for community building love it and thinking back to you know the beginning of your you know your story with Abuela and and going into yeah <laughs> and growing up as a PK and going to college and all of those things, um, knowing what you know today, if you could write yourself a letter or send yourself a voicemail of when you were younger, what would you tell your younger self? I think one of my I mean what comes to mind right now is this this idea is. Um, to remove that whole others, that othering like wall that a lot of times we have. Um, and just not be afraid to get close to people, right? Especially people that don't look, that look, that don't look like you and have a different experience than you, right? So I think so, so much of my life and the most beautiful and deep and meaningful moments have come from being in a really close relationship and proximity with people on the margins. And and if you talk to them, maybe you'll say that through our service, through our services and through my job, like we help them in a way. But really I feel like I have become a mom, like a a, a good neighbor to and just like a, a like a the human that God wants me to be because of those experiences because of those relationships because of that close proximity it has been a a bit of like that secret ingredient for me so I guess I would tell the younger Priscilla like don't be afraid to get close to people especially that are so different and um, to be brave Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard today into action. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for connecting and take care.